Lord, we praise you for who you are and that, Lord, tonight we have a chance to experience the horizon that you give us, to set our eyes uh, beyond ourselves and beyond what is seen to what is unseen. Lead us in that and uh, lead us to a place, Father, where uh, we experience your comfort and your grace and your compassion and your power and your conviction. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, you guys can be seated, and um, if you have a Bible, go ahead and get it out. We're going to be um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'm super casual tonight, or this morning, depending on when you're watching this, because I was talking to some of our home church folks the other day, and they were telling me that they love home church because they get to come in their pajamas. So this is a shout out to all the PJ church people, hoping that, that after COVID, we'll still be doing that, so... I'm just going to say, hey, I'd love a pajama church, just my way. But tonight we're going to be talking about uh, Paul is waging war against something. And what he's waging war against is this right here, this measuring stick. And I think you know what I mean when I say this, because uh, there's not a person here or watching in home church that at some point in your life you haven't asked the question, uh, do I measure up? And this little thing right here, this little measuring stick, believe it or not, has the capacity to ruin our lives. It has the capacity to rob from us the very fullness of who we are in Christ, the very fullness of who we are to our family and to our friends. In other words, it has the ability to steal from us the ability to live a wholehearted life. Uh, yesterday, I had the privilege of going to a three-year-old soccer game, and uh, you know, it's really kind of amazing because there were hundreds of people at this three-year-old and soccer games all over the field. And uh, there were tons of these all over the field. Uh, there were people that were there and measuring each other by their status, by their fitness. I mean, they were everywhere. Like, everywhere you look, people were pulling out these measuring sticks. And then when their kids took the field, it was like, you know, measure up. And it's funny because, you know, a three-year-old soccer game is not really a soccer game at all. In fact, this one kid came by with a balloon, and it brought our whole game to a halt because every kid on the field just stopped and got transfixed. They were more concerned with snacks and the water and where's mommy than they were about some ball and why is there a goal here. And the, the thing about that is that kids don't have these. In fact, uh, we learn these. Um, and and we, we not only learn these, we, we begin to collect these. And people teach us about things. And we start to grow into asking questions about how do I look? And do I look enough? Do I look well enough in comparison to? We ask, am I smart enough? We ask questions like, do I have enough skills? Do I have enough stuff? Do I have enough humor? Am I the life of the party? Am I cool enough? So we were, my son and I, a few years back, we went to this ancient ritual called a concert. <laughs> I know, it was, it was it, it, long ago in a land far away, musicians would gather crowds of people. <laughs> And we went to go see the Foo Fighters, which I love the Foo Fighters. And this was the year that Dave Grohl, I don't know if you know this, but a few years ago, he fell off the stage and broke his foot. And this was the, uh, the tour where he came out with a broken foot and he was in this chair that 
that had all these guitars coming off the back. It was like his guitar throne, and they wheeled him out, and he tore it up. But in the Foo Fighters concerts, they, they have people in the crowd that are holding up signs that are like, you know, hey, choose me, choose me, because I guess in every one of their shows, they bring somebody up from the crowd to either play the guitar or to sing. And uh, there was one guy in the crowd here in Nashville that he kept pointing to, and he goes, if you're serious, dude, come on up. And they got him on the side of the stage. And Dave turned to him and literally said, you better know the words, all the words to this song. And the guy kind of sheep, in a real sheepish way, just kind of walked off the stage and left. But you knew what was going to happen is if he would have taken the stage, this right here would have come out. With 18,000 people, we would have measured him. We, if, he was, if he killed it, like... He would have been spectacular. If he wasn't good, he would have been booed off the stage because he was being compared to the Foo Fighters who are spectacular. And we are obsessed with spectacular. During COVID, um, we watched um, The Last Dance, which is the documentary of Michael Jordan, you know, GOAT, the greatest of all time. And we're obsessed with that kind of stuff. If you're an athletic, spectacular, exceptional person, then you've, you've exceeded beyond the measurements or in business or in parenting or academics or music. And see, here's what Paul's doing. And here's what I want to do tonight. I got some buttons. Okay. I wonder if I could break this. Well, it's going to be broken, all right? What Paul is saying is if you are obsessed with spectacular, you're going to lose out because spectacular is a cheap substitute for significance. And that's the war that's happening with us tonight in this passage. And it's not a fair trade. Because the supernatural never lives in the spectacular. It always lives in the significant. And that's what we need to be as a community of believers, significant people. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is a passage of scripture that talks about spiritual gifts. So I'll give you a little heads up. And at the very beginning of it, it's not in the passage that we're going to read, but the verse... Uh, the first verse says, I don't want you to be uninformed. He says, you need to know about spiritual gifts. In fact, Midtown, if you want to continue to grow in your faith, if you want to be maturing in your faith, if you want to grow spiritually more mature or emotionally more mature or relationally more mature or even socially more mature, you need to be informed about spiritual gifts. So let's talk about them. In verse 4, let's see if that verse is up there. There it is. There are different kinds of gifts but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. So let's stop right there, because we're going to just teach our way through this. The very first thing that it says, and this should encourage you, is the first thing that Jesus does when he comes into our lives. He doesn't come to take, he comes to give. It's the whole story of the gospel. Jesus went to the cross to give. God so sent his son to give. He's giving. In fact, he's reaching deep and saying that if you have Jesus, if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. Go read Romans chapter 8. You have the Holy Spirit. And where the Spirit is, there are gifts. So last year before the travel ban, I went to northern Uganda. And when I flew into Uganda... Um, I went up to the booth, it's the money exchange booth in the airport, and started exchanging American currency for Uganda money. And if you've ever seen Uganda money, it doesn't look like money. 
like it's got like colorful pictures all over it. It looks like something from Monopoly. And if, if that's not bad enough for you to think that you really don't have money in your pocket, their exchange rate was 3,700 shillings to one U.S. dollar. So like when I went out to lunch that day and spent $15 on lunch, I spent 55,000 shillings. And you reach into your pocket and it just, it doesn't feel like you have any money. It just feels like you got this play stuff that you're just kind of giving. And for many of us, we reach in our pockets and we don't think that we really have gifts. We think this is something you talk about in church and it's something that we encourage our kids with, you know, but we don't really have supernatural gifts. That's a dangerous thing for us if we're fighting against this right here because this is stealing from us the reality of who we are in Christ and Christ is trying to take us away from the spectacular into the significant. So Paul, when he wrote a letter to his disciple Timothy, in 1 Timothy he said, hey Timothy, don't neglect your gift that was given to you. And then in 2 Timothy he says, for this reason I remind you to fan into a flame the gift of God. So he's telling his young disciple, you need to be not only informed about your gift, you need to not neglect your gift, and you need to fan it into a flame. Now, let me shoot some ideas of what gifts could be. Gift of administration, gift of being an apostle, gift of discernment, the gift of evangelism, exhortation, faith, the gift of giving, the gift of healing, the gifts of helps, hospitality, the gift of knowledge, the gift of leadership, the gift of mercy, maybe the gift of prophecy. Go read about that one. How about the gift of serving or speaking in tongues or teaching? Or how about the gift of wisdom? What is your gift? Don't neglect it. Fan it into a flame. So I'm not going to, in this sermon, I'm not going to give you a spiritual test, uh, gift test. Go online, find one, you know. Uh, go ask your friends, what is my spiritual gift? Go ask your spouse. Trust me, they'll tell you what your spiritual gift is not, you know. <laughs> go, go ask your friends, or here, here's a quick test. What makes you angry? Like, seriously, what, what gets you angry? Because you know that anger is, is just the other side of the coin of passion. And pa what you're passionate about, you get angry about. Because anger is the emotion God's given us that stirs us to fight for something. And it shows us what we love. And so when I ask you, what do you get angry about? It may be showing you some of what you're gifted for. Like when you come to Midtown and you go, this place is so unorganized. I go to the website and I can't find anything. And you get angry? It may be because you have the gift of leadership or you have the gift of administration. And so the thing that you love, you're seeing it lacking. And you get angry for it. Or maybe um, you come to church or you come to Midtown and you see a lot of new people standing around and you try to get to as many as you can and you leave angry because somebody comes to Midtown and nobody talks to them and didn't greet them and gave them a hug, a COVID hug, you know, and made sure that they felt welcome. And maybe it's because you're angry because you have the gift of mercy and you really want to see people receive mercy. Or maybe you get angry about how are we doing enough in this community for the poor? Are we doing enough for the people in Napier? Does Jonathan Nash have enough support from our community? It may be because you have the gift of service and you have the gift of help. Or some of you may get angry because we don't pass a plate at Midtown. And you're like, why don't we talk about stewardship more here? Because you have the gift of giving. 
and you want to see this community grow in its giving. Some of you are angry because we don't have a cappuccino machine, or that you don't think my jokes are very funny, or that you think the parking is a pain. Well, you have the, the, the gift of being a jerk. <laughs> and that's a gift we all have. Welcome to the club. But let me tell you something, that, that you're complaining. You know that complaining, I call complaining the pornography of groaning. Because the Holy Spirit groans in us, and our convictions groan in us. And what we're passionate for groans in us. But if we don't let our hearts groan, we turn it into complaining. And complaining is a, is a spectacular substitute for something that's significant. So maybe you need to stop and listen to what your heart is groaning about. And when you find that gift, don't neglect it. Fan it into flame. Remember where we're going. Because we're getting rid of this right here. So let's go to verse 7. Now to each one... No, go back. There we go. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To the one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still to others, interpretation of the tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines, just as, as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Let's stop there and go back to verse 7. Can you do that? Look at verse 7. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit. Do you realize that your spiritual gift, when you use it, is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit? That God's going public through you. Do you ever wonder if you ever see the work of the Spirit in your life? Every time you see somebody in this community using their gift, it's a manifestation of the Spirit. And you know, what's crazy about that is that if we were to walk through, you know, St. Thomas West, and I was to heal everybody with COVID, you would go, behold the manifestation of the Spirit. But if I just get up here and teach, it's hard for us to believe that. But if I use the gift of administration, it's hard to believe that. Or if I use the gift of discernment or giving, when people give, we don't go, whoa, look at the supernatural manifestation of the Spirit of God, because we don't understand. And so we have to clear up what is the working of the Holy Spirit. Every gift that's being used by us is a manifestation of God. When Jasmine teaches our kids, is that a manifestation of the Spirit of God? You bet it is. And see, if I understand that, then I know when our small group leaders or our home church leaders, that when they're leading, and even though they may not be doing it the way that you might want it to be done, it's still a manifestation of the Spirit. And when I step back and go, no, it's not, then I'm saying it's not significant. And that's, I'm going to run to spectacular because I'm not seeing the power of what's significant. Because when we become misinformed, it leads us away from where God is leading us. And God is trying to lead us. We all have gifts, and when we use them, they're manifested by the Spirit. They're a manifestation of the Spirit. You with me? Because if you don't believe that, you're going to fall into the trap of the next few verses. Because Paul's about to give us a warning. And here's, here's where the measuring stick comes in. Because he says, when you don't understand that you all have them, 
know them, don't neglect them, fan them into a flame, and then when they are used, it's the Holy Spirit manifesting himself in your life. If you don't believe those things, look what's going to happen. Let's go to verse 15. Can we jump to 15? Now, if the foot should say, because I do not have a hand, or because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. Let me read that again. If the foot says, hey, I'm not a hand. Look at the next words. I do not belong. The moment I stop believing that I am gifted and my gifts are a manifestation of the Holy Spirit, I start comparing. And the moment that I start comparing is the moment that I start saying to myself, I don't belong. Look what it says in the rest of the verse. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. I got so many reasons from experiences in my life to want to compare myself to so many of you. And every time I do that, I come up the loser. In fact, when, I, when, when shame begins to whisper in my ear that there's something profoundly wrong with me because when I compare myself to you, there's nothing wrong with you, and shame tells me that there's something wrong with me, I'm broken, then I immediately start to say I don't belong. When I was a little kid, Teddy, when I was your age, you know, my mom, my mom and dad uh, joined me into the Cub Scouts, and uh, we, uh, we had this Pinewood Derby. Do y'all know what that is? So uh, my dad took me to Weiss and Gold Rings, which was this department store in town, and we went to the back of the department store, and that's where all the Cub Scouts and the Boy Scouts gear was and camping knives and all the cooking utensils. And they had a rack of these little boxes called the Pinewood Derby Boxes, and you buy them, and inside was a block of wood and tires and axles. And you go home, and you sand that block of wood, and you transform it into an automobile. And then you put the tires on it, you paint it, you know, you put a number on the side, and then you take it to the, to the Pinewood Derby, where inside this big gymnasium, they would have these ramps that would just go down for, you know, 30 feet, and they put the two cars up there, and they race them until you eliminate everybody except for one. And my dad and I, we sanded that thing, and we whittled on it, and we gave that car a name. I can't remember the name, but, you know, let's make it up Speedy. You know, Speedy. Was, and I was so proud of this car. Literally, I remember looking at it as we are driving over to Brame Elementary School for the, the Pinewood Derby competition, thinking this could possibly be the best Pinewood Derby car that has ever been created since the, since the beginning of time. This is it. When I walk in, people are going to stop and go, <gasps> and angels are going to sing. I literally, I thought, <clears throat> this is amazing, because my dad and I had so much fun doing it. We had poured laughter into that car. We had poured smiles into that car. We poured dreams into that car. We would sand it and go, it's going to go so fast. We walked in, and there were just tables of cars, and my love for my car vanished. Because as I stepped up and I started to see what everybody else had done, 
kids whose dads had routers and woodworking equipment and kids whose parents were artists and they were painting like Leonardo da Vinci artwork on the side of their cars. And I realized my car isn't special at all. As soon as I pull this out, it's the joy killer. And all I long for when I pull this out is something spectacular because what I have is no longer significant. And that's what shame does. Shame says there's something wrong with me. I don't have what you have. I don't have money. I don't have looks. I don't have smart. I don't have music. Like, I got to tell you, I hate Justin Timberlake. That's not true. I love Justin Timberlake. But I hate him in the sense that it's just not fair. Like, he's just so good looking, you know? And then on top of that, he's an amazing musician. That's just not fair. And on top of that, he's so funny. (laughs) But just, like, don't compare yourself to him. But let me tell you what we have to remember and why we can't neglect our gift because in verse 18 it says, but in fact God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, that means you, just as he wanted them to be. You are just who God wanted you to be. The gifts that you have are the gifts that he has designed for you and the purpose that he has given to you and the life that he has called you to live and the work that he has called you to do. Well, verse 21 says that if you don't have shame, you probably have pride. And this measuring stick turns itself around and becomes a club because it says the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. What is he saying? When I become prideful about my gifts, it's not that I don't belong. I look at you and go, you don't belong. And that's just as dangerous. So let's, let's wrap this up, because at the end it tells us what the purpose of the gifts are. And this is the second half of verse 24. Is that up there? But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lack it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one is honored, every part rejoices with it. Our gifts are not designed. This right here divides us. It compares us. It drives us away from one another. And the economy of God scales when we understand the gifts that we've been given and we understand that in his kindness, he's given me the gifts that I have. I fan them into a flame and I realize they're a manifestation of the spirit in my life. It draws me to you and it draws you to me. It brings us together. And there's the proof in the pudding. It says when we're all functioning in our gifts, we suffer together. When we're all functioning in our gifts, We share honor with each other. When you succeed, guess what? I succeed. Why? Because we're a family. And it says, and we rejoice together. When you rejoice, I rejoice. When you weep, I'll weep. That's what our gifts do. And that's why they're so significant that in this community called Midtown, that we really, oh, I almost did it. We break this. (laughs) You know? We destroy it. Because, and we have to fight against it because that's the way of the world. And we're not of the world. We're the way of the Christ. And in Christ, every one of us is significant. 
and every one of us has been gifted. I don't care how ungifted people feel, you are gifted if you're in Christ. And when you use that gift and you fan it in a flame, we all benefit from that. When we suffer with you, we suffer with you. When you're honored, we honor with you. When you rejoice, we rejoice with you. So one of uh, the men that I love reading is a guy named Henry Nowen, and he was a Catholic priest. And um, he was this renowned writer, and maybe you've read some of the stuff that he's done, and he was a professor at uh, Harvard Divinity School, and man, you want to talk about spectacular. He was just riding the train of spectacular through the clouds. I mean, and uh, those over him said, uh, this is a perfect time for you. And he agreed that we're going to move you out of Harvard Divinity School, this place of prestige, and your speaking tours, and all your books that are selling, you know, like crazy. And we're going to move you over to uh, a community called Arche Community. It was Arche Daybreak Community in Toronto, and it was a home for severely mentally and severely physically disabled people, and they were there to live in community with those that have normal abilities. It was this community that was built to take people that were struggling with severe struggles mentally, physically, and put them with people that were not and let them do community together. Well, one day he was there trying to adjust and trying to figure out how he's going to give so much to these people. <laughs> like, they're going to drain the life out of me when this woman, Janet, came up to him and said, I want you to bless me. And he did the cross. And she was one of those women that uh, had severe mental handicap, but she looked at him and she said, no, no, that's not a blessing. I want a real blessing. And Henry Nouwen said, well, I think you're going to give me time. I need some time to figure that out. So at the next service, they had a service where there were about 30 of them in a circle. And after the service was over, he asked Janet to come up for her blessing. And so Janet came up, and he had his big robes, and he wrapped himself around Janet. And he whispered in her ear, Janet, I want you to know that you are God's beloved daughter. You're precious in God's eyes. Your beautiful smile, your kindness to the people in your house, and all the good things you do show what a beautiful human being you are. I know you feel a little low these days and that there is some sadness in your heart, but I want you to remember who you are, a very special person, deeply loved by God, and all the people are here with you. Well, she smiled, you know, as you can imagine. That's a blessing. And when Henry Nowen looked up, all 30 of these people had formed a line. And uh, they said, me next. <laughs> and he sat there for an hour wrapping them. And what is he telling them? You were gifted by God. And your gift blesses us. Don't neglect your gift. Fan it into a flame. And then let us draw close to you. And we will share in your suffering. And we will share in your honoring and we will share also in your rejoicing. When it was all over, he was exhausted. Uh, and he had a young intern, a young college student. Actually, he was a football player. He's about 24 years old. And uh, when they were all gone, he came up and he goes, now me. And he had to wrap himself around this giant guy and bless him. 
And that's what we're talking about tonight. Paul is blessing us because he really is breaking this. Oh, I want to do it so bad. So, so here's the challenge that I have for you tonight, that you would begin to set this, this measuring stick aside and begin to pick up the belief that you are the way you are because God made you that way. And discover that gift. Nurture that gift. Don't neglect that gift. Fan it into a flame and let it draw you to community. Not to comparison, but to suffer, to honor, and rejoice with those in this community. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your giving nature, that the gospel is that you give, 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 give. Give us courage to receive. And as we receive, Lord, I pray that we would become like flowing rivers, that what flows in flows out. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So we're, we're going off the recording now because um, we've been recording this also for our Granny White home churches, but we're about to take communion. I really believe that those of you that are here, you're here because Jesus wants you here tonight. So this communion table is, we're going to do it in a really kind of unique way. And what we're going to do is um, we're going to take the bread together and then we're going to take the juice separately. And the way we're going to do it is we're going to pause because I want to challenge you to repent. I want to challenge you to ask Jesus to forgive you for the ways that you have compared yourself to other people, either in shame or in pride. I want to ask you to ask Jesus to forgive you for the ways that you've neglected your gift and despised the things that he's given you, the role that you play in the family of God. And just ask Jesus to come in and clean that stuff out of you. And then we're going to take the bread. And then I'm going to pray again that, that then the, the wine here would be us drinking deeply that we are loved, like the blessing that was like given to Janet. That the wine is going to be just let Jesus put his arms around you and just begin to whisper in your ear that you're his beloved um, and that you've been put here for a purpose and he desires to work through you and in you with that purpose. Okay, so let's pray. Lord, lead us now in this communion by letting us repent, Father, of all the ways that we have compared ourselves to others and come up lacking and all the ways that we have been prideful in the way that we have looked at others and judged ourselves. Forgive us, Father, for the sin of believing that we have no gifts or not knowing them and not fanning them into a flame, how we've neglected the very role you made us for in this family. And we're not asking Jesus for fresh forgiveness. We know we're forgiven. We're asking for this repentance to renew our hearts, to draw us close to you, so that we can hear you rejoicing over us with singing. So let's take the bread together. And now, just listen to Jesus. Tell him how much you need to hear him rejoicing over you with singing. And when you feel his arms around you and you feel his compassionate smile on you, Take the juice, for it is, it is the blood of Christ that was shed for you, that he came through history and time, and he gave all that he had to call you his own. How precious are we to the one who gave his life for us.